0: And I don't know about you, but I'll be thankful when, like, the cold and flu and sickness and COVID and everything season will be over sometime soon. Um, I know lots of people have been on the ins and outs of all kinds of illnesses and things. So we're um, grateful that you're here, and hopefully you're healthy. If you're watching us online and you have a box of tissues next to you, we're also thankful that you're still able to worship with us the blessing of, of technology when it works right, right? Technology can be a blessing and a curse at times, but... um. But thanks for joining us today. How's everybody doing? Good? Yeah, good? Upside, yeah, everything? Okay, good, good, good. Yes, I'm glad that you're here. Um, I hope that you are well caffeinated. I hope that you are um, ready to to hear from the Lord today. Not from me, but through him. Um, And so um, I want to start off with a story today. Um, And maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. But it's a a story of a farmer that um, this farmer was busy plowing fields year after year after year. And um, one day, he was just kind of frustrated, and he looked up to the heavens and he said, God, I- I'm not sure if this farming thing is for me anymore. Um, God, I need you to send me a sign for what I should do next with my life. What should I do next? And so he prayed to God, and he looked over in the, the, towards the east, and he saw these clouds in the sky in the field. And he saw these clouds, and they seemed to take a formation. And he watched them take a formation, and he saw two clouds appear with the letters P.C. P.C. And he looked, and he said to himself, wow, it's an answer from God. And he said, P.C., what could that stand for? And then it hit him. That PC stood for preach Christ, preach Christ. So he put his stuff down right there in the field, and he said, well, I'm going to go, and I'm going to preach about Jesus. He left his farm. He told all his friends and his family, he's going to go be a preacher, and he went preaching. But lo and behold, every place he preached and to whoever he preached, his sermons were dreadful. He was unfruitful in his ministry. He couldn't talk to people, and not only that, but he was miserable. And so um, a couple years later, he turned back and went back to the farm a little frustrated, a little discouraged. People wondered what had happened, what took place. And then one night, in a dream, God appeared to him and said, Excuse me, you misread my message. It was not PC preach Christ, but PC plant corn. <laughs> totally off track, right? Um, But so anyway, we're in the final series, um, a week of our series, Give Me a Sign. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how God does give us signs um, that he calls us to to pay attention to those signs. Often we're so busy that we don't see them. Um, We've talked about how to discern those things using the tools and the people and the Gifts that God has given us around us. And then last week we talked about how fear can be the biggest obstacle to getting in the way of following what God's called you to do. Um, but last but not least, um, we're going to kind of wrap things up, tie things up with the bow today with the question that's probably served at some point in your heart, in your life What happens if you miss it? What happens if you read PC, you go preach Christ, and you totally miss what God was saying to you? And so um, there's a there's a common Christian cliche that you've probably heard before, and it goes something like this: like God has a perfect plan for your life. Probably heard that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Maybe you grew up in a tradition that kind of like like talked about that, celebrated maybe like youth group that kind of thing. Um, And maybe 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 at some point like you found that very comforting to be like, yeah, God has a plan for my life. Um, But I have to say, like being honest, the first time that I heard that, it struck fear into my heart. God has a plan for my life. Like, you know, I, at the times that I prayed and stressed and maybe there were no signs or was unsure of a certain direction, um, struck fear into my heart because I was also told of people who made other choices than the plan, and they were absolutely miserable for the rest of their life because they missed God's plan. And it's like a scary thing, right? Um, so we're going to talk about this today, and, and I think just the idea overall kind of brings up some really good questions um, if you have a, your worship guide, they're, they're kind of listed in there, and they're listed on the screen here. But things this kind of brings up is, you know, does God have a perfect plan for each person's life, like a blueprint plan? Um, can you mess up God's plan? Will God give up on me? Um, has God already planned everything that happens? But then the question, is like, what actually is God's plan? Um, so we're going to try to, I'm going to try to in the next like you know, 20 minutes or so, try to address all these things. I'm not going to do justice to half of them. But just I think these are really good questions for us to examine um, and examine even like the plan itself. What does it mean to talk about God's plan? Um, well, if in, maybe in, in high school or somewhere along the way, um, you, you've read Shakespeare's famous play, As You Like It, Anyone ever read that or have to read that in school or even on your own? We have a couple people here. Um, Even if you haven't, you've probably heard a famous line that's been quoted all the time. um, And it goes something like this. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. William Shakespeare. But Shakespeare was not the first to compare a life to a play. And I think when, when we're thinking about that, it kind of gives us first, like when it comes to God's plan, discerning God's plan, um, whether you have a plan, is, is like kind of this first idea that's possible when it comes to kind of answering those questions. And, and, and there are traditions and denominations and groups that, that kind of go by this idea. And the first idea I want to talk about is that there is a plan written in advance by God. There's, this is one take on it, that there's a plan written in advance by God, that there is a plan for you, for you, for you, for me, for, for each of us. Um, and, and if you look at the Bible, there's, there's like a handful of passages that really support that. Um, the One of them being a, a, one of my favorites from Psalm 139, in um, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And, and, and there's lots of others that kind of point in that direction. But when you really, like, start to unpack this, like, like mentally and think about it, um, there's, there's a couple problems that result from that idea that a problem is a, a plan is written in advance by God. And the first is, if God has a plan, is it based on what he knows that you will do, the mess-ups and the mistakes? Or is he kind of, like, moving you as you go? Like, is the plan, like, made... Thinking about, like, the ways that you're not going to achieve the plan, like, you know, the ways that you're going to err, the ways that you're going to go off track, or, or maybe he has a plan, but he knows that you're going to mess it up, so it's really plan B, which is plan A. You know, you can kind of, like, wrap all this stuff up in your, in your brain. It hurts sometimes when you think about it a lot. Um, and there's a, there's a famous um, passage from Jeremiah that um, you know, often when we send kids off to college or, or different places, you know, we post this, we have it. Maybe it's your life verse that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You know, who's, who's had that printed on something before? or seen that before or had that right like and it's very encouraging and you know you can read that as words from the lord but um but but, but the thing is we have to also interpret the things that we find in the bible Appropriately, looking at the context about what it means, and the question is, like, does this really indicate that there's a plan for each and every one of us that's written in advance by God? Um, because it, when we look a little bit deeper, we see the context of that specific passage, you know, to who is this beautiful and reassuring promise given? It's given to what was hundreds of years before Jesus, the the southern kingdom of Israel, Israel had split into two. And they were being conquered by people and being sent to exile. And God was telling them that he was going to bless them by restoring the kingdom after exile. It was a promise of hope given to a discouraged people, a group. The you is plural there, is to you through a very reluctant prophet, the prophet Jeremiah. It's not really talking specifically to an individual. But, But the thing is, what you can draw out of it is that God does have an attitude to bless us, a desire for people's welfare, um, but it's really not pointing to a detailed plan of who you're going to marry or go to college or what job you should take or where you should move or what you should do next in your life as mapped out. Um, but, but also, I think along those lines, when we think about you know, does God have a, a plan that's written in advance, if, if God has written a predetermined plan For each of us, that means that God is also responsible for genocide, for murder, for cruelty, for war, for violence. And and when you think of those things, that means that it's impossible if God is a loving and just God who is against evil. It's incompatible. That means that God, if he has a plan, then those things must be a part of what he has ordained ahead of time. And it gets really messy. It contradicts who God is. And, and the thing is, even if you take, like, the swing, well, then God is this plan, and we're kind of like puppets, right? You know, you, you watch Jim Henson, the puppet show, the Muppet, Muppet show, not the puppet show, right? I don't know who your favorite Muppet was, but, you know, hate to break it to you, but they're not real. Like, you know, they kind of, they're moved by people, and they have different people behind the scenes that are, that are going there. Um, and, and what's the point if we are merely puppets acting in a pre-written play? What is the point for us operating? Like are we just there for God's enjoyment to watch the show kind of play out? What is that? Um, it's just like if, if you would miss like, maybe your teams are playing in, in football or your favorite sport. If you miss the game, and then one of your buddies rats on you and he tells you the outcome of the game, like you're probably not going to watch it, because if they lost, I don't want to see how it happened. And if they won, then that's a great thing, right? I don't really have to see that either. <laughs> uh, but then but, that's the thing. You don't really care in that point. So, so there's some problems when we have the idea that it's like, well, God has a, a perfect plan, a certain, like a path, a blueprint plan for each and every one of us. Is God really responsible for our misgivings? Does he make adjustments? Or how does that work? Is he responsible for all the, the evil that's in the world? Because that's co- not compatible with the character of God. Well, there's a second idea that we can have about this too, about what it is to be a part of God's plan. second idea is what I call like the perfect plan. A perfect plan, but you can choose otherwise. So in this kind of idea, there's this idea of free will that comes in, like choice. That yes, God is a perfect plan, but you can choose otherwise. You're not a puppet. You're, there, there's not the, the kind of the, the watching of a show coming there. And, and um, when I was first called to ministry and really struggling myself with whether God was calling me to pay a pastor or not, um, I approached my, my pastor at the time and sat down in his office, had this, like, long discussion. I um, found out later, like, he didn't support women in ministry and all that kind of stuff. But, but we had this, this interesting discussion about how he told me that, that basically, in his thought, God has a perfect will. I Maybe mean, you've heard this before. God has a perfect will and God has a permissive will. Perfect is like, like the A-plus plan, right? Like, you're on, in line, whatever, you know, that, that uh, permissive is kind of like honorable mention, Kind of like second best, you know, first loser, whatever you want to call it, like that kind of thing. Like you're, you're kind of permi- permissive and perfect will. Um, and then basically he, he told me about how, well, you know, finding God's will for his perfect will, it's really like a cosmic Easter egg hunt. A cosmic Easter egg hunt that you're just running around and you're trying to find what the perfect will is and, and you might not get it, you might stumble upon something else, but it's up to you whether to follow and I have to say, after the conversation, I like left his office, I'm like stressed out, right? Like, what if I don't find it, right? What if I, if I do err off the side, you know? Um, what, what if in the Easter egg hunt, I only get four eggs, right? And everybody else's baskets are full. The anxiety really mounts. You know, that, that you, maybe you, you somehow in your mind, like you moved to the wrong city and you become, discover that you became a truck driver, but God wanted you to be a missionary, you're like, oops, I blew that one, right? Um, But but the thing is, when you really sit back and reflect on this and even look in Scripture, the the thing is, we all regularly miss God's plan A. We all do, myself included. And all of the biblical figures apart from Jesus, we see that they at some point misunderstood, misheard, or chose to ignore what God wanted them to do at at multiple points in their lives. And I don't know, that, that, that gives hope, doesn't it? It gives me hope. The good news is that God is a specialist in plan B, that it's not like second best or over, and God has to be. And I think in that regards, we have to consider um, the relationship between God and people first. That, of course, God is not a lotto machine ready to spit out what the next thing is. God is rooted in our relationship with us. Um, that, that sometimes we think that we have to manipulate God by special words or acts to kind of bring him out of hiding to reveal where the hidden Easter eggs are. Like, like that's not what God is about. And, and, and of course, the, the problem is, is that it treats God too much like an object. It treats God too much like an object or that God's a reluctant blesser or that he's a bad parent who's saying, I have a special present for you only if you do this for me. Like, that's not true of God. And when we think of God's plan like that, it treats God like, a, like an object. And, and it's different, though. It's different on the flip side when you know God as a loving person, as a loving being that you have a relationship with, not just who's going to spit out a list of things to do. And that's why in Scripture and that's why, you know, in church and when we pray, um, sometimes we'll refer to God as he, and that's not because God is male by any means. That's because God is personal. We relate in a personal way. And by saying calling God it, that would kind of make this object kind of relationship that would not be relatable, that, that God is not a computer who spits out results. And, and there's, this, um, there's a, a famous Swiss theologian, his name is Emil Bruner, and um, he, he called it basically that we can have an I-thou or I-you relationship with God. And too often though, we err into the places that we think of our relationship with God as being an I-it. That I get God to do things for me. That I ask God and I tell God what I want. And instead it, it turns things into transactions rather than conversation. And it turns things into manipulation. But, but the focus needs to be that it's a relational God. He's a relational God. That we, you know, you, you think about it, like when you want to know When you think about this for a second, when you want to know what will please your spouse, your mom, or your friend, um, it it helps to enter into conversation with that person. Uh, You talk to them about what needs to be done. How do you enjoy things? How do you enjoy things together? How do you use your time and your tools and your talents to to please them, but you talk to them first? And that's really, really important. Um, I, I once had a friend by the way, who instead of doing that, he decided that he was going to leave lists of things for his wife to do around the house. Needless to say, it did not go over well. (laughs) A conversation. It's a conversation, interaction. Even when it's a parent-child relationship, it needs to be a a loving and caring relationship, not a controlling one in either direction. And, And it's also connected, though, I think, to the following important question is that question of what is God's plan then? And I think this is really important to iron out. Is, is it that step-by-step, step, absolutely next thing, next thing, next thing, and then if you miss one of those oops, like you're off the, you know, once again, you're in second best mode here. Um, but let me offer a perspective that I've found helpful. Um, maybe you have kids. Maybe you have nieces or nephews. Maybe you have a close friend who has children or you work with children. Um, what is your will for them? Think about that. What is your will for them? Is it very specific that they will marry this certain person, that they will go specifically to that school and they will get that degree or they will go into that field and they will work for that company um, and they will live in that city and they will move on to do this thing, this thing, this thing, and this thing? Or is your will for them that they would love others, that they would have a relationship with God? That they would seek to be, have lives that are part of good news instead of bad news. That they would do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. And that they would make a difference in the world. Think about that. What, what is the difference? You know, is it a, I want them to do this, this, this? No, no, no. It's, I would guess that it's probably more of those things that I just mentioned. So what is God's plan? Well, I think Paul kind of gets to that in his letter to the Colossians. And When he talks to this church community, he talks about that, that will, what it looks like, and how it's embodied. And he, he says this in Colossians chapter 1, um, we're going to read verses 9 through 13. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that, get this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way this passage brings out what is God's will? Things that are pleasing to God? Like asking ourselves like hey, is is this direction is it fruitful or is it destructive? Um, am I growing in the knowledge and relationship with God? Is it strengthening my character? Is it leading towards the things of God and stepping into building his kingdom and giving others a glimpse of that here and now? Um, it's less of a specific step-by-step plan and less focused on the what, and more focused on the how and the why. The, the reasons why we do things. What Whose kingdom are we a part of? Our, our, our own, the world's, or are we a part of God's kingdom? That, and I think that, that kind of lets us sit back a little bit and relax, and just say, hey, I, I, maybe I missed a step. Well, guess what? God's redemption and forgiveness of our sins is greater than my mistake, that I can still move forward. And I think that instead of like that, that idea of a perfect will or a permissive will, like first best, second best, I think it's more about a prescriptive will. Prescriptive for what God desires. The, does my decisions does it, it, it result in an improved state of life and eternity for us and for the world? Is it a part of a larger story of God's love and his kingdom on earth? Or is life just about you? I think that's the difference. Because when we pause here, you know, we you you think about what is God's plan. I think it's all of those things, and less stressful about okay, it has to be this, it has to be that, it has to be that, it has to be that. Um, and of course, though, you know, you might be saying, well, of course, like you know, I've read scripture before, I've heard stories before in the Bible. You know, what about those times in the Bible when it seems like God forces people to do things? Because there are, there's a lot of circumstances where God's like, hey, do this. It sends an angel. He talks to someone. Um, One of my favorites is uh, the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 when he's, like, church planting and traveling around the the ancient world. Um, One of his travels says this. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. (laughs) Like, it's pretty clear. Like, God intervenes and God steps in, and I would say absolutely yes. God does choose certain people for certain tasks. God gives us signs, and there are times in our lives when it is absolutely, you are called to take this step. You are called to go here. There's, there's, a, there's a sign in that direction. But a lot of the other times, though, God doesn't necessarily knock us off our horse or give us an audible sign. I think we can embrace both of, both of those things, that there's times that operate, God operates by having a specific will or a specific step for us, but then there's other times more that we get to do something else to choose. maybe most of the time we get to partner with God in deciding how we will serve him. And I think that's powerful too, because that's in the character of God, in a relationship with God, partnering to bring grace and mercy, forgiveness into the equation. So, So what if you miss something? What if you mess up? And what if God, instead of saying, well, you missed that one, you blew that one, you're just going to get second best. Now, what if instead the story is more that God redeems it and opens up new possibilities? When stepping towards him in those things that God values in parts of his kingdom, what if there's a new door that opens and a new direction because of God's grace and his forgiveness? And I think that this kind of leads us to what I think is like a third idea or, or perspective on this idea of God's plan. And that's, I think, is a collaborative plan. A collaborative plan. You know what it means to collaborate, right? Maybe you're forced to do this at work or in school. Like you have to do, anybody love group projects, by the way? Right? No. (laughs) I just heard like, nope, nope, not at all. But um, a collaborative plan. A collaborative plan. And I'm going to call this like painting with God. And this is a very like Wesleyan Perspective. So it, it, our, we're affiliated with the, the Church of the Nazarene, which comes from a, a Wesleyan um, perspective of things, respecting that God does give us choices to make. Um, and, and I think partnering with God, it's like a canvas and paints model. So think of, instead of thinking of God's will as like a blueprint. And a person, basically, as that partially like blind person trying to wander around and find the paintbrushes, like the cosmic Easter egg, and they're going to stumble upon things and then mess things up. Um, I think it's more like a painter and paints that the canvas is life. Uh, the future, beginning with each day, is part of that canvas. And God gives us paints and brushes. He gives us gifts and talents. He gives us people in our lives. He gives us mentors. He gives us God's word. He gives us opportunities. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like the art instructor, the art instructor, and Jesus is the model. And and it's not, though, that you're just painting Jesus, you're replicating Jesus, but you're replicating, you're painting Jesus' character on the life in the canvas. And and imagine this. Suppose that you're partnering with God, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, painting away with the tools that you've been given, and all of a sudden, in maybe the right-hand corner, you're starting to paint And all of a sudden, what appears is a paint-by-number area. You like paint-by-number? I like paint-by-number, right? Really pretty things you can make. It's a paint-by-number. Okay, well... I'm supposed to paint a cloud here. Okay, well, I'm not just supposed to paint anything. I'm supposed to specifically paint a cloud. Okay, well, there's a specific direction that God wants me to go in that little area. The others, I'm given some freedom in the paints and to use what I, at disposal, to mimic, to, to paint, in essence, what Jesus would have me there. But I, there's this one area that I am supposed to have a direction. And then you go along and, oops, I make a mistake. Oh, man made a mistake. Well, God's like, the Holy Spirit's like, keep going, right? Keep going. I'm going to make that into a flower. If you keep going, I'm going to make that into the flower. That God helps us along the way. And I think we see this time and again in scripture and stories. Uh, Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament scriptures, Joseph, his time in prison, what does God do? He makes it fruitful he rises up in the power. He he actually, he he saves his people from the famine because of that. Um, We see the story of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. After death and destruction, they take a step, and then we see what God does, and then Ruth is eventually woven into the family tree of Jesus. It's crazy. We see the Samaritan woman that Jesus interacts with, and who's given a new role, a new turn on life. We see Paul, he goes to Troas because he's told not to go to Bethany. That's that little paint in the corner, the paint by number. It's a specific instruction in that way. We see Mary Magdalene being the one who sits around at the tomb and she's crying and she actually intercepts Jesus, the risen Jesus, because of that. The picture still becomes something because of God, not because of you. See, but also I think it's a caution that the canvas model. It doesn't mean that we're to paint anything and everything. It's not a mess. It is bounded by principles and guidelines. And there is parts of character and conduct that are a part of that. And we see that it echoed in the Psalms. One of my favorite is Psalm 40, uh, verse 8, which says, I delight to do your will, oh my God, and your law is written within my heart. Like there are some boundaries. It's not just like a free-for-all that we paint just, just anything. And the good news though is that we don't do it alone. That part of God's will is that we're living and we're we're a part of a spiritual community that helps us with the painting project. Like look when you look around, you you have classmates in this. You have people that are also painting and messing things up. And this person's in a paint by number section, and this person isn't. And guess what? We're all learning together. That's what it means to be a disciple, a student. A learner. It's not an isolated individual task. And we see in other people's paintings, we see in our own time and again that yes, this God can be trusted. That you can trust Him too. And we can keep seeking to, to make that picture beautiful with what we do have. So I'm going to go back to the question. The question we started with. What happens if I miss it? Well, I'm not sure now if that's the right question. I think you can relax a little bit. I think you can settle into the idea that God's will is to paint something beautiful together. And, and so here's my point. I think there are times that the plans that God has for us are quite specific at times. Um, I, you know, I, I think I was supposed to and I was called to be a pastor Looking back at part of my story, I believe that there was a time in my story that I was called by God to plant a new church um, in Virginia. I believe that God called me to move to New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. But going a little bit further back, um, when I was an environmental scientist, uh, had I stayed an environmental scientist and not become a pastor, I do think that God would have found some way to use me there, too. You know, had this church not voted me to become your pastor, I think God would have used me in some other flock. But also, it's, I think it's times that we, we, we resign ourselves and say, well, you know, it's too late for me to follow God's will. You know, there, um, a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to interview as part of this board that, of ministry that I'm on, um, to interview candidates for ordination. You know, these are people that are, are feeling called to be pastors. They've been in this journey, some for like 10 years And um, in one of the interviews, um, we had this gentleman, um, he came from, he was Haitian-American, and and his wife was there with him, and he was the one being interviewed. But at the end of the interview, it was very interesting, you know, and these are kind of like middle-aged people, by the way. Um, At the end of the interview, we asked his spouse to, to speak on his behalf. And lo and behold, she felt called by God when she was five years old to be a missionary and she put it off and put it off, and she said, actually, you know, now that my husband is headed towards ordination, I think I'm, t- I'm ready, and I think it's time. And I'm like, wow, that, praise God for that, right? It's never too late. It's never too late. Maybe there has been something that has been going on years ago, that, that hey, you've been putting off, you know, you, that God has used other things, but maybe there is still that, that calling, that direction, you know, that the good news is that God has not given up on you. But God doesn't want you to give up on Him. God uses our mishaps, He uses our mistakes, and He accomplishes His purposes. So maybe as you're sitting here today, maybe you're right where God needs you today. Maybe you're perfectly positioned to paint the next part of the canvas rather than stress over the messy section. So I think maybe His question is for you will you pick up that paintbrush? Will you allow his instructions to help you paint? No, you may not know how it turns out. But the good news is that's where God's grace and his love comes in, that you can leave it to God. And so um, I thought it would be appropriate to to wrap up this message and this series today. Um, Each week we've been um, sharing a certain prayer um, in conclusion, and I think we're gonna like print out a couple copies of these two. So if you'd like all those prayers together, then you'll be welcome to that. They're also posted online too, as under resources. Um, but I want to finish with a prayer of um, what's called a prayer of Sir Francis Drake, written in 1577. Um, and um, I, I think for some of us, it's it is a, a sense of of a step out of faith into what god might have us do some of us it's it's that discernment to say hey what is pleasing and good to god and just doing that rather than just waiting and waiting and waiting um and i think for some of us our dreams are just way too small i think for some of us that we've been too comfortable sitting back on the things that we know how to paint rather than trusting god to instruct us in maybe a daring in a new direction and um so i want to close us with this prayer you may find it a little unsettling at some point, but I think that's a good thing. We need to be unsettled as the people of God. We need to be disturbed, as Sir Francis Drake mentions, because that's the place that often we find our faith comes alive, our relationship with God grows, and we may step out in a new direction. So let me pray this prayer for us this morning. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well-pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, when we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Amen.